On Cinema Smorgasbord presents How Do You Do, Fellow Kids? We discuss the life and film career of the always unique character actor, Steve Buscemi. On this episode, we're talking about the 2019 Jim Jarmusch-directed zombie comedy, The Dead Don't Die. Oh, the dead don't die Any more than you were right they're just ghosts inside the dream of a life that we don't know. Welcome to How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the dead man, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? That was a terrible one. The dead man? Come on. The dead man, like the undertaker from the pro wrestling world. Uh, well, first of all, I'm not a white supremacist, so no? you're well, that's... wrong. <laughs> I'm glad that the one thing you know about the undertaker is his propensity. <laughs> For white supremacy and his love of police officers. I mean, I used to think he was just cool like everybody did back in the sure. day. Mm-hmm. And then I reposted some meme uh, about him. And then friend of the show, Chris Reject, was like, oh, here's <laughs> here's a whole bunch of pictures of him in various white supremacist t-shirts. And I was like, yeah. god damn it. Like, why does everyone suck, you know? I think he did like major interviews with one of those like Blue Lives Matters shirts. And look, listeners, we're not we're not so lefty that we can't appreciate uh, that people have nuance in their political opinions. But this guy sucks. He's a shitty guy. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure one of those pictures he was in a Daily Stormer shirt. Yes, I so believe that's so. a bit more direct than Blue mm-hmm. Lives. You know, your, your embarrassing aunt might have a Blue Lives Matter shirt or some shit like that, but like. Daily Stormer, you're in the shit. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're. It's not like a maybe. Like you're definitely on the team. You know. What we're saying is, if you have a Blue Lives Matter, you know, poster or shirt or some sort of representation in your house, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to being a full fledged neo Nazi. That's what we're saying, Liam. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, we're not here to talk about. The horrific conditions of the world right now, even though it's something that it's hard not to think about. I don't know about you, Liam. The world's a scary place right now, which I guess is appropriate for Halloween, but it's scary in a non-fun way. Yeah, I mean, I think Halloween and other times when we think about mortality and and the end of things, they can bring a certain amount of comfort and perspective. But it's hard to have that comfort and perspective in the midst of the suffering you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. that's really something you want to acquire over time if you have too much comfort and perspective in the bits of crisis maybe there's something wrong you know maybe maybe you've been a bit too traumatized at that point if you're in the midst of the horrible thing going you know life is temporary like that's maybe not a good sign it's interesting because the movie that we're going to be talking about today part of its purpose is a recognition that things are fucked yeah. And I think that things have actually gotten more fucked even since that movie came out. Oh, yeah. Um, but we'll certainly get into that. Let's talk about some non-fucked up things for a minute. Uh, one of those things is from faroutmagazine.co.uk, which is, I've realized we've actually used this as a source of uh, discussion on this podcast previously. They're basically one of those websites where they find interviews and podcasts, and they just make articles out of things that people have said at some point in the past, which I don't yeah. have any problem with necessarily. It's just one of those content creation things. But one of the things that they did was they I did an article that says Steve Buscemi names one of his favorite horror movies. Have you read this yet, Liam? No. Okay, close your eyes. 
<laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, as we have covered previously on this podcast, Steve Buscemi has made some horror movies himself, including uh, the horror comedy we're going to be talking about today. But we also discussed Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Remember that, Liam? I do. Yeah, he was in that uh, a number of years ago at this point. Uh, and he was uh, interviewed uh, years back about his favorite horror movie. And the movie, Liam, that he chose as his favorite horror movie is George Slyzer's The Vanishing from 1988. Have you seen The Vanishing? I watched it for the first time, I think, last Halloween. Right. Um, I just, it was on, there was like an 80s horror collection on Criterion, which was Mm -hmm. very uh, diverse, let's say, in its selection. Mm -hmm. Just all kinds Mm -hmm. of stuff. And I knew the name. But I had never given time to the movie, and I thought, oh, let's give this a watch. And that is an upsetting film, Doug. It is extreme. It's almost too upsetting as like a fun Halloween movie. It's just Uh a little too harsh for that. And I think people who, particularly because it was remade just a few years afterwards by the same director with with Kiefer Sutherland, and that version is so much less upsetting than the original. Some people, I think, they'll go back to that original and be like, oh, I know what to expect from this. And you don't, man. It's a rough movie. Yeah. I think that... uh... I think that the American remake, it, it adds just that much melodrama that it takes the edge off the, you know, horror of what you're seeing, really. This is what uh, Buscemi had to say about it. He said, this Dutch director, George Schleiser, is actually a Frenchman, or born in France anyway. This creepy 1988 thriller about a woman abducted and the torment her kidnapper puts her boyfriend through was remade by the director as an American film in 1993. But check out this original and see if you don't have nightmares. Liam, did you have nightmares about it? I didn't have nightmares, but it does tap into like actual real life fears about how easily you could be disappeared and yeah. no one would know what happened to you. Right. And also that very specific uh, fear of being placed somewhere where no one can hear you and no one can find you and uh, that you're just going to slowly die in that place. Yeah, that's pretty upsetting. The more I think about it, actually. (laughs) So let's move on to something less upsetting, Liam. uh, Liam. Cartoons. Are you a big fan of the animated medium? Yeah, definitely. Sure. Well, there's a new show coming up called Crapopolis. uh, And this is an article from Deadline. Crapopolis, Ben Stiller, Yvette Nicole Brown, Steve Buscemi, and David Diggs among season one guest stars. This is a new Fox animated comedy, which is premieres on September 24th. So I guess it's already happened. I don't know if anyone has been talking about it or not. Have you heard of this show before? I don't remember if they delayed it because of the strike or not. I've seen a ton of trailers for it. Right. And then I didn't hear anyone talk about it after it was supposed to have come out. But the last update I heard before the the writer strike ended was that it was still going to come out, but they might have delayed it for a little bit. So I don't know if it's out yet or not. If it is out, nobody must like it because I haven't heard a fucking thing about it. Again, lots of advertisement, but no discussion by real people. Now, this is a show produced by Dan Harmon, the creator of Community and one of the co-creators of Rick and Morty. Um, and so that's probably why it had a lot of heat behind it. Some of these names are familiar from some of those other properties, like Yvette Nicole Brown from Community, and both Steve Buscemi and some of the other names that are guest starring on this have appeared on Rick and Morty, which is now a cursed property, even though it is coming back. Uh, this uh, this uh, says about the show, featuring the voices of Hannah Waddingham. Uh, she's from Ted Lasso, right? She's one of those people? I think that's Hannah right. Um, Graham Linehan supporter Richard Ayoade, Matt Berry, Pam Murphy, and Duncan Trussell. 
Crapopolis centers on a flawed family of humans, gods, and monsters attempting to guide humanity out of the savage wilderness and into a, a new lifestyle experiment they're calling Civilization. Now, they do have a pretty impressive list of guest stars. Aside from the ones I already mentioned, they have Joel McHale, Dave Franco, uh, Will Forte, uh, uh, Stephanie Beatriz, David Cross. Lots of great names on it. I mean, it does seem, you know... Like, the DNA of this would be something I'd enjoy. And look, I'll, Matt Berry, I think we can all agree his voice is something that we can just listen to, Liam, ad nauseum even. I mean, he is one of my favorite voice actors and actors ever. Like, he's just magical. <laughs> and uh, Berry is playing a character named Schlub, uh, which he's the self-described life of the orgy, a true pleasure seeker and who thinks that everyone should just chill out and if they need him for everything... If, if they need him for anything, he'll be down at the bar. So, I mean, that sounds great. I mean, I'll check it out, but like yourself, I have not heard anything. Maybe it's because it hasn't yet premiered. Maybe this is something I should have done a little bit more research about, Liam, but this is a secondary thing to discuss on this uh, Steve Wasebi-based podcast. These days, and I feel bad about saying this, these days, unless there's like a lot of heat behind something and I'm hearing about it all over the place, I either never check it out or I check it out after the first season is over and just watch the whole thing. There are certain shows I stay current with because I love them. Yeah. But there's a lot of stuff that I hear about and I think, yeah, I'll get there. Uh, you know, and some of them are, I'm letting down friends that I like, uh, <laughs> you know, listener and friend of the show uh, and co host, Adriana Gober, loves Severance. And I should have watched Severance. And I've not watched, watched Severance. You should have watched Severance. You got time before the second season starts. You got to get on that, bro. I will eventually. I just have You watching Our Flag ne- Means Death yet? Uh, well, I watched the first season, but second I haven't started. The started. Second. I know I haven't started it. Well, I can't knock it. My uh, my wife went last week and uh, got together with some friends to watch the first three episodes because they released all three at once. Yeah, and I told her I would watch them uh, before the next episode came out, which I think is like today, <laughs> as of the time we're recording it. And I have not yet watched it, but I'm gonna, Liam. I'm gonna do it. I mean, we love that show, so I know we'll get there eventually. But right now, we have other things that we're kind of. Uh, attached to so we're you know we got to get through those before we get we start something new Liam recently Steve Buscemi appeared on the CNN News Network to talk about his new movie The Listener Uh, this is an article from CNN.com called people just want to be heard Steve Buscemi on America's mental health crisis it's part of it's kind of halfway an advertisement for the movie itself it shows a short clip with Tessa Thompson talking to one of the the, uh, the people calling in. For those who don't know, uh, we've mentioned it on many previous episodes. The listener is about someone who basically uh, mans an overnight mental health crisis line, and it's all shot in the person's apartment. The the movie is uh, as these people are calling and conversing with her, and you know dealing with the trauma, specifically uh, trauma based around uh, the the pandemic and how people responded to it. And it's very much a pandemic era movie. This particular um, segment also features a mental health professional kind of discussing both the film and kind of the the general mental health of the United States of America. Liam, is I know this is going to sound like I'm on a news program. Is there a mental health crisis occurring in the United States right now? I mean, I would assume so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even just speaking of myself and everyone I know, I would say yes. Yeah, totally. And I think... My confusion, though, Doug, is was this movie delayed or something? Like, I I thought this was supposed to come out a while ago, but it's not out yet. I don't. It's I don't... doing it's doing the um, the festival thing right now. I think it just showed at Tribeca and stuff like that. So, it's, but he I, but he made it some time ago, right? He didn't just make this movie. 
I think he made it last year. So it was probably, I think oh. he made it just as we were coming out of, I mean, look, listeners, I know what you're thinking. If you're like me, we're still in the pandemic, obviously, but in right. terms of the lockdown, I think he was making it then. I just remember, I for some reason, my memory of seeing information about this goes back pretty far. So I thought maybe it was delayed for some reason, but I, I might be wrong about that. It's, uh, I mean, I love the concept, um, and I think it's uh, mental health is something I'm always is always on my mind, and I think it it's something that um, when we think about what we were just saying earlier in our discussion, just the idea of what's going on in the world right now, even outside of the pandemic stuff, just the idea. And I heard someone saying this yesterday that you know they were, went to a, mem- a memorial for the victims of the pandemic, right? And it was just like a million people died, and it's like no one gives a shit right it's not like well, there's I a mean, national day or anything i mean I, I i it's so funny and i hate to be this guy who brings up tiktok but i just saw a tiktok where someone had commented on someone's video being like yeah the vibe really shifted in 2020 and this person had to be like yeah why do you think that is like <laughs> why and it's not the first time i've heard it i've heard people be like you know things really shifted in 2020 it's what like, was going on then yeah this is a fucking pandemic what are we talking about like it, it doesn't happen a lot but occasionally we there really is a bit of a memory hole when it comes to like why have the last three years felt different than other times in our lives it's like well there was a pandemic that we pretended wasn't happening in some quarters of the world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we haven't really done anything about it since. And a lot of other tragedies of that size have had some sort of acknowledgement or memorial. And tragedies I, of significantly smaller size. Exactly. I think we've done more for other issues while still pretending the pandemic didn't happen or something. And it... It bums me out, man. It really bums me out. It's like it's like they've all been raptured. Like hundreds of thousands of people just vanished off yeah. the face of the planet. They're right? just it's gone. Just, they're just gone. I guess something happened, but I don't know. Don't really remember what it was. It does. I mean, also, I don't know if this has happened to you, Liam. It just I see it all the time when people are trying to refer back to something, and it's like that just happened last year, and you found out it happened three years ago because you just have lost big chunks of time yeah. due to every. Yeah, it's just. I think we're all actually. Uh, living in a shared trauma that probably requires lots of mental health care that also is not provided to us. So it's uh, right. maybe shit's bad is what I'm saying, Liam. Boy, that's the theory, that's the theme of this show so far. <laughs> I mean, it works for this movie, so I'm okay with it. It's funny, though, because this movie came out in 2019, so it was a pre-pandemic world, and it was already talking about how fucked up things were. And it, like I said before, it's just gotten worse since then. In fact, let's talk about it. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's 2019's The Dead Don't Die. In this peaceful town, on these quiet streets, something terrifying, something horrifying is coming. Excuse me, we're closed. Get away from me! What the hell was it? A wild animal? This is really awful. Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen. What was it, wild animals? So what are you thinking? I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. You look gorgeous. My, are you in this together? Flesh-eating zombies. Don't joke. It's really, really creepy. Oh man, this isn't gonna end well. When I was a boy, I thought a 
They gravitate towards things they did when they were alive. The peaceful town of Centerville finds itself battling a zombie horde as the dead start rising from their graves. It's 2019's The Dead Don't Die, directed by Jim Jarmusch. Uh, we've covered a Jim Jarmusch film previously, Mystery Train, on this very podcast, also responsible for 1984's Stranger Than Paradise, Down by Law, one of my favorite films, Dead Man from 1995, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, Coffee and Cigarettes, Broken Flowers, and Only Lovers Left Alive from 2013. And in fact, I guess it was encountering Tilda Swinton on the set of Only Lovers Left Alive. She's one of the stars of that film. Uh, and she mentioned that he should make a zombie movie, so he went ahead and did it, and he wrote it as well. This movie has a wild fucking cast, including uh, Bill Murray and Adam Driver and Chloe Sevigny uh, as the kind of the lead police officers, but also Tilda Swinton herself, Steve Buscemi, of course, Danny Glover, Caleb Landry-Jones, Selena Gomez, Austin Butler is here, Rosie Perez, Iggy Pop, Carol Kane, Liam Carol Kane is in here. So many familiar faces, including the RZA, Larry Fessenden, just lots of people, and of course... Sturgill Simpson. In fact, I would consider this really a 100-minute Sturgill Simpson music video, maybe rather than a full-fledged movie. We also have Tom Waits in a small part. Liam, if it's a very controversial film, in some ways people were kind of not shocked by it. I would say more surprised and confused by it when it was released in 2019. I mean, just the idea of a horror comedy directed by Jim Jarmusch was already enough to send people kind of reeling. And this cast uh, was, was, you know, it brought a lot of people to it. But I think the response, a lot of them were, were like, what did I just see? What was he trying to do here? And I think you're going to untangle that for us. But before oh, you sure, do, sure, sure. Well, before you do, why don't you tell me, what did you think of The Dead Don't Die? Well, I actually have like a long history with this movie, Doug. Interesting. Uh, this is the first time I've been able to finish this movie. I've had multiple <laughs> times of starting the movie and not finishing it. Um, and I've wanted to watch it for quite some time. A uh, friend of the show and my co-host on Cinepunks, Josh Alvarez, went to a press screening in Philadelphia and w- did not realize that uh, Jim Jarmusch was going to be there. And so oh. uh, he got to you know shake Jim Jarmusch's hand after the movie and, and whatever <laughs> and was really into it and t- you know told me how much he loved the movie. In fact, he loved it so much that then he traveled up to New York to see it again for its official kind of release. And again, Jim Jarmusch was there. And not only was Jim Jarmusch there, <laughs> he remembered Josh. Oh, wow. And he goes, hey, you were in Philly. And Josh was like, yeah, 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 I was. And uh, I believe he remembered him because he was wearing his uh, Morrissey is a racist shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was just thinking just then, why am I talking to you, Liam? How come I don't have Josh talking to I know, exactly, this, right? exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, he was like, he's like, so you came up to see it again? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I wanted to see it again. He's like, so you so you like it? You think you think it's good? And Josh was like, yeah, I do. He's like, okay, can, can I talk to you after the movie? I, I want to get your read on the movie. Whoa. And Josh was like, yeah, man. So uh, he saw it again. He loved it even more the second time. And then he had, not a long, like a six, seven minute conversation with Jim Jarmusch about the stuff he liked about the movie. And Jim Jarmusch admitted that he had really mixed feedback from people and that he thought it was like a good thing that he did, but he wasn't sure if people were going to get it. And Josh assured him that it was great and everyone was going to love it, which he was wrong about. <laughs> he was very wrong about that. Though maybe, maybe you know, uh, time... Time might be his uh, his uh, defender here because mm-hmm. people are mm-hmm. starting to come around. I mean, I, this year in particular, I'm seeing people come back to the movie or watch it for the first time and are like, maybe it's because it had such a cool reaction. Their expectations are now not, hey, this is going to be 
ghost dog way of the samurai's Jim Jarmusch's zombie comedy. I also want to point out that uh, Jim Jarmusch also, uh, in that conversation, joined the ranks of famous people who've told Josh they would come on the podcast but never have. <laughs> uh, in fact, only only, uh, only LDP himself, Lou Diamond Phillips, has moved from that list to actually being on the podcast, whereas uh, the likes of from, from Jim Jarmusch to uh, uh, Danzig to... Uh, Who's the who's the British uh, communist folk singer guy that everybody likes? I forget his name now. Bill, Billy Bragg? Yeah, Billy Bragg. <laughs> oh, no, Ooh. really? He's like my favorite musician. Why could you not remember that? Oh, I forgot his name for a second. I, because I'm not the one who he got the cell phone of and calls every once in a while to chat. That's Josh, <laughs> Doug. Billy Bragg calls Josh to talk about his music and shit. He doesn't call me. Because you know why that is, Doug? Because I don't live in a city where I have connections to press people, and I get to go to cool shit the way that Josh does. Because Josh is Chicago, as we Yeah, and I don't know anyone from. in Chicago, so I don't get invited to anything. Plus, also, I have a I mean, child. <laughs> I will say that Josh, one of the greatest better person about than me, him. I know. Well, let's not go nuts, but what I will say is that that thing that some people have where they could ask someone, hey, would you yeah. like to be on my podcast? I have that through DMs of people that I already have a pre-existing relationship with, but if it was like someone of note, I, I could never. What if They would look at me like, A, like I'm a fucking loser with a podcast, which is absolutely the case, and B, like they might say, oh, of course I'll do that, and then they'll completely ghost me, which would devastate me <laughs> horribly. <laughs> Well, and I, or, I even worse, Liam, they might say, "Yeah, I'll do it," and then they'll do it, and it will just be bad. <laughs> I do want to say I I don't think it's quite fair exactly what I'm saying because some people think of the drummer from the Gaslight Anthem as a famous person, but to be fair, that person knows Josh in real life, so that doesn't count. But he was also on the podcast, and he was also someone who I was like. How do you know this person? He's like, no, like I actually know that person. I was like, oh, okay, because some of the people Josh is like, I asked them to come on the podcast. I'm like, do you know them? He's like, no, I just saw them at a thing, and then I asked them to come, and they said yes, but then we never hear back from them, you know, or they change their mind to no in the same interaction, which would be, uh, oh fuck, I forgot his name too, uh, uh, Magneto, Magneto, but the young Ian Magneto. McKellen, no, oh, young Michael Magneto. Fassbender, yeah. No, not Michael Fassbender. That can't be Fuck. right. Fuck. <laughs> no, come on, let's let's let's. Charles Xavier, young Charles Xavier, James McAvoy. Yeah, James McAvoy. Yeah, you're not gonna have James McAvoy on your podcast, sir. Well, he was at the Philly punk rock flea market, and he took a. He, <laughs> what the fuck was he doing there? <laughs> it was when he was filming. Wasn't he in a? Wait, am I thinking James McAvoy? Or am I thinking Fassbender? <laughs> Which one was in a fucking? Uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie. James McAvoy, he played the animal guy. Yeah, he yeah. was filming, and he went to the punk rock flea market in Philly with, like, three models, by the way. What a fucking <laughs> He dickhead. had three dates. And uh, and uh, he was like, oh, Josh was dressed up as Santa, and he wanted James McAvoy to come take a picture with him. And he's like, you know, you should come on my film podcast. And then when James McAvoy was done getting coffee, Josh was like, hey, you going to come get a picture? He's like, nah, I'm good, man. And I bet I he did. Like, he probably said it in a much more uh, Scottish way. Isn't he Scottish or is he Irish? I, I don't fucking, fucking know. Anyways, he dissed Josh to his face, and he dissed Josh so hard that the entire staff of the coffee people who were next to Josh's Santa booth laughed at Josh for the rest of the day. Oh, I thought you were going to say that they're going to take Josh aside and be like, "Fuck James McAvoy." They were, but they also thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this has become the Josh Alvarez podcast. So let's move on. <laughs> Here's the deal. Because I have never been able to finish this movie, the vibe might be, oh, Liam must think this is a piece of shit. I got to be honest, 
Doug, now that I actually watched it at a reasonable time and I stayed awake through the whole thing, uh, well, because I kept trying to watch it at night and it's so relaxed and the vibe is so chill, <laughs> I just kept falling asleep. So now that I watched it during the daytime, I actually really like this movie. I think it's pretty funny. I don't understand entirely the decision to be as meta as it is. That right. is to say, mm-hmm. I get the commentary on the world that we're in. And I think that's fine. In fact, I'd say it's in the tradition of many uh, modern zombie movies to comment on the world that we're in. Sure. However, to take it to the meta level of commenting on the fact that you're watching a movie is funny to me, but I don't know that I understand why you would do it. Is it just supposed to be funny? Because if it is only a humor tool, it's not entirely successful. I don't think it's worth it if it's just supposed to make me laugh. But if it is meant to take me out of the moment and make me think more about the construction of the movie, okay, but is that the best tool to do that or not? So in other words, I didn't hate it. It didn't make me mad. But I could understand why someone who was hoping for a more traditional movie is you're really pushing their credulity when you've got fucking Adam Driver talking about the script and shit. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you're really asking a lot of the audience – even more so when the big reveal is that there's aliens involved, but also not involved. Uh, you're really asking a lot of this audience. But uh, but for me, Doug, I had fun with it. And the weird thing for me is I think you're right. People were surprised that he put out a horror comedy. However, while I wouldn't consider myself a Jim Jarmusch expert, I have watched a chunk of his movies. And while I wouldn't say all of them have made me laugh – I think all of them have elements of comedy in them. Like, they all seem kind of like a joke, even if I'm not always laughing. Like, Mm -hmm. they all have a feeling of, like, an extended punchline, especially some of the newer movies. So the idea that, like, he did a horror comedy, I'm like, well, aren't they all kind of comedies? Maybe you don't find them funny, but I do think there's a sense of humor to all of them. So that didn't surprise me. What surprised me is that... It was a zombie movie. Like, it feels like, why do a zombie movie in 2019? But I think that was kind of the point, you know, is to sort of use something that had become kind of popular to kind of push a certain thing. I just don't know how successful it is at exploring some of the ideas that it's meant to explore, because I I think you're supposed to get a sense of the complacency and the complicitness that all of us feel in the midst of a disaster. Right. And that's there, but I don't know that this is the most effective way to do that. On the other hand, I find it quirky and funny enough that I don't kind of care that it's that effect, not that effective. I just find it charming. I was mostly charmed by this movie, if I was going to give it a one-sentence review. I was mostly charmed, but it's not my favorite Jim Jarmusch by a mile. Yeah. I guess the thing about this movie is that it kind of feels like a lark, you know? It feels like, you know, Agreed. not a piss take. He's not, like, making fun of the, the people who enjoy these kind of movies. No, he obviously does enjoy, but it does feel like, oh, let's just do this because it'll be fun. And I do have a perspective and something I'm trying to say, but I'm not going it, to. Again, it doesn't have that ghost dog polish or, or only lovers left to lie polish. It looks kind of shitty. That's the thing that I, I always think about when regards to this movie. It doesn't it it doesn't feel polished, which in some ways is one of the reasons I most like it because you have so many like wonderful performers in here and a lot of them doing really great work, and they're in the midst of this kind of cheap 
kind of junky. Like, even the special effects are all fucking terrible for the most part in the movie. Uh, but in the midst of that, particularly on this watch, I really did get that feeling of, oh, this is probably the most post-Trump movie that right. exists in this kind of genre at the very least or anything around it. That's what it's trying to address. It's trying to address a world where we've just seen something unprecedented right um and we're all living in you know and not only are is it an unprecedented unprecedented event but it's also we live in the midst of people who thought it was just like another day right, right. people who just are not recognizing how fucking wild all that shit like the orb and like just i think of like when you think of the trump presidency and the hundred ridiculous things that were happening every single week while that was ongoing and still continue to go on it's just it's just like that is a collective trauma we all experienced and now, you know, again, like I said, this was pre-pandemic, and that has just kind of reinforced itself again and again and again, where it's just like, that's the new normal. That's really what the movie is about. It's the wild, like, like post-apocalyptic, or really apocalyptic, I should say, event that's occurring amidst, and you're just like, well, I still need to go on with my day. I still need to function in the world. Mm -hmm. And it is a movie that's trying to tangle with that while also being funny at the same time. And it's, it, like yourself, I really like the vibe of this movie because everyone is so chill, for the most part, in regards to it. But it's also a little, if you think about it too much, it's a little bit disturbing because it is such a commentary on how we are approaching what in some ways feels like the end of the world that we're all living in right now. Well, um, I, I, I want to say, though, I feel like the decision for it to look the way it does, I wonder if it isn't also a commentary on those movies that are considered by many people, probably many Jim Jarmusch fans, to be B-movies, right? Yeah. Like, when you think about lesser-known movies we kind of break them into two camps of some of them are lesser known because they're art movies and art movies don't make money. And some of them are lesser known because they're B movies and B movies, you know, maybe they make money in a sense, but they're not big Hollywood films. And I, the vibe I get is that those worlds are less separate than we want to pretend. I mean, sure. How many of our tour directors worked briefly with Roger Corman, right? Like, let's just be real that sometimes you, you start in B movies because there's nowhere else to start. Right. But like, uh, I think the other thing for me about the movie is Jim Jarmusch, this is my take, and I could be wrong because I'm not a Jim Jarmusch expert, but it doesn't feel to me like the movies I've seen are about things the way that this movie is about things. So right. like, mm -hmm. not that they have no point, but they don't have messages, really. They have other reasons for being. And so part of the reason I think this movie is such a lark is to be like, I'm going to make a movie and it's going to be ham-fistedly about something. And that in and of itself is kind of funny because I don't, don't fucking you, do that. I mean, don't you think that that is specifically because like George Romero gets several vocal references in this sure. movie. And it's like that's a specific reference to George Romero, right? The idea of of a movie, a horror movie that's about something that's very much on the surface, right? I mean, the idea of Donald. Oh, Man I would say him. that compared to this movie, George Romero is subtle. Actually. <laughs> I'm serious. I really think like they, I mean they basically have the 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 same conversation. This was an important place for them, right? The mall in the Dawn of the Dead uh -huh, here. It's like uh -huh. everyone coming out, the zombies asking for coffee and Xanax. Oh yeah. I mean the the the, the model zombie that poses. I mean, yeah. come on, you couldn't be more obvious in what you're doing. But I think that's the point is like take uh, something that George Romero was doing with sincerity. And do it in a way that's silly, and you know it's silly. And right. I guess that's the question, right, to me, is how willing are you to let Jim Jarmusch not only be goofy, 
but be goofy in a way that admits that though all of his movies have a sense of goofy, in, like th- there are moments in, you know, uh, to me, uh, uh, Ghost Dog is a very serious film, but there yeah. are moments that are goofy. There's no way yeah. to describe some of those moments other than goofy. Absolutely. Broken Flowers, same thing. Even some of the older ones that were, I think, a bit Yeah, Down by Lies has self-serious. I mean, they have hilarious it. moments. So my man has always had a sense of humor. But this is like him really being like, come on, this is kind of ridiculous, right? But also, in 2019, you're going to make a movie that directly addresses the state of the world. There's not really a way to do it other than goofy, because if you try to do it with a sense of seriousness, it's too fucking serious, right? It's too sanctimonious. There's no way to address it, really. Like, it kind of reminds me, Doug, I was watching, I, I, we've talked about this before. We had a, a very embarrassing conversation for me about The Simpsons, in which I realized I was wrong, <laughs> and, and you were right about how bad later Simpsons was, but... What is still true is that I'll watch Treehouse of Terror regardless sure. of the year with mm-hmm. my daughter because she likes the spookiness of them. And I watched one of the ones that was like a – it was like a commentary on the election, which is kind of you know embarrassing in and of itself, right? That like they're trying to comment on the election during the election. I mean they have a classic one. They had that Bob Dole, Bill Clinton right, one, right? right. It was part of their classic so, year. So, so this one is you know Homer's in the election booth. And he can't decide about president because it's so complicated. And Lisa's like, are you serious? And then they do like a running scroll of all the ridiculous shit that Trump has done. You know, and he's just like commenting on it. And it's a silly joke. And going into that whole section, I was like, this is so cringe to be commenting on the election, really. But then when they do the running scroll of all the shit that Trump has done, not only is it an effective joke that they really nail very well, it's super depressing because yeah. by the end of the scroll, you're going, oh, all of this shit is real. None of it is exaggerated. And I just got used to it. I got used to all that shit. The first few, it's like, Haha, yeah, he was crazy. And by the end of the scroll, I'm like, fuck, man. Why did we just get used to how insane this motherfucker was? <laughs> and I think that's the thing. It's like, if you're going to comment on it, don't you have to be ridiculous? Because the situation is too... It's too mind-blowingly surreal to try to take it seriously in the context of fiction, I think. I think the best way to comment on it is a bit of a satire, which is kind of what this boils down to. But it's a satire that's certainly not making fun of, in my mind, horror movies at all. No, I don't think so either. Though I do think that some people might wrinkle against what they would interpret as a sense of aloofness in the movie. Thinking it's like, I see this, how come other people can't? see this or is this a movie that's speaking to the people who can see it and being like things are really fucked i mean the movie basically ends with tom Waits saying that like things are fucked up and this is just a movie willing to say that well i mean i think we all realize that or at least i shouldn't say that i should say the people who i think are sensible in this world (laughs) all recognize that to one extent or another maybe it's just i one of the comforting things about this movie is just that Hey, it recognizes that while other things are like, hey, no, things are, you know, things are pretty normal. Hollywood is just like entertainment is just like it was before. Like things can just move on and be like they were before. But it's just like, no, they can't. And this is a movie that's kind of acknowledging things have changed and things are still messed up. And I don't know if they're ever going to get better. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that there's a I think the I the the towards the end, there is a moment that might feel to some people as it is perfunctory which is these police officers deciding that despite overwhelming odds and really no reason for them to do what they're doing they're just gonna (laughs) they're just gonna do the thing that they should do that you would do 
as sort of like a like a last kind of stand thing, right? Where it would just be it would be just as reasonable for them to just run away and hide, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But they're going to do the thing, right? I think in some ways that is both a silly thing to do and a direct commentary on the world, which is like a lot of us just have to do the thing, and that there are people who. You know, if we're not going to completely take apart the system altogether, they're just going to do their job. And in some ways, this is the complicated thing with the current move to like try to prosecute Trump, right? Like to pursue prosecuting Trump is in a way to express deep faith in the system as it exists because it's people who really think like, no, 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 these. These machines still work, and because they still work, this man has to pay a price. But I think for a lot of us, the reason we don't have either hope in or even much joy at these court cases against Trump, which are, by the way, a lot of fucking cases. Like, it's not like a small amount of shit. I know. He's in a lot of trouble. But a lot of us don't give a fuck because we think, the machine doesn't work, man. I just don't believe it's going to work. Like, I just think something's going to go wrong. And that is deeply cynical, right? As much as I think it would make a lot more sense in a common sense way for these men to run away. It doesn't make sense for them to go and wade into the crowd of zombies and try to fight them. Uh, it's also deeply cynical if you made a movie where it's like, yeah, that everyone runs and hides. <laughs> That's a cynical fucking movie. It might be more common sense, but it's not the thing that we want to believe in, right? And uh, now, don't get me wrong. I think a much more hopeful take might be to totally destroy the system altogether, but there's no way to really put that in the zombie movie, right? There's no especially, real especially in this movie because it takes place in a small town. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, exactly. It's not exactly. even connected to a large city like Cleveland. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Cleveland. Well, and t- to be fair, I, Cleveland seems pretty cool actually. But you know, whatever. No, I, not I, Cleveland. It's a joke in the movie. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. But that's. I do think that's. I mean, the reference to Pittsburgh is clearly a Romer, again sure. a Romero reference. But I do love that they're like, no, it's Cleveland, and I was like. Okay, yeah, right. But it, but it's also true, like, I'm sure if you live in Centerville or whatever the equivalent is, Cleveland is a big city to you, right? Like, I do like that attitude of, like, they're from the big city of Cleveland. It's like, well, kind of, you know. Although, to be fair, I, I knew immediately when watching this movie that they filmed it all in New York State because it's – the town where they're from, It's everything is so New York State that anyone who's been outside of New York City and New York will be like, oh, they filmed this in upstate New York. Like, it's very that vibe, you know. <laughs> I have a question for you that's very specific, sure. Liam, which is that they introduce, you were just referencing it, these three characters played by Selena Gomez, Luca Sabat, and Austin Butler. There's these three kind of young hipsterish guys, guys, or sorry, I should say, three hipsterish characters. They enter this town where all of this stuff is kind of already in the midst of happening. They get a place at a hotel, and then they're killed off screen. And then we just see their corpses afterwards. What is that supposed to be about? Like, why? What are these characters all about? So again, I part of the thing here is that um, I don't want to too much. This movie is definitely a movie that has a message, and it's very much on the surface. But I think I think it might be difficult to just say like every decision made has like a reason for existing. You know, actually, I mean? just as you're saying that, Leo, I'm thinking of those three characters from the juvenile detention center that they right. introduce and they go back to, but we get no resolution at all with them right. either. Right, 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 right. So I don't know if there's like a direct reason. My guess would be that um, they are, in essence the sort of aloofness that you were referring to before Mm. in the sense that like they just want to do their thing and they don't want to worry about what's going on. But that doesn't mean they don't 
at least Selena Gomez's character does yeah. take it seriously. They just also don't want to be a part of it, but that doesn't mean they aren't going to be affected. You know, uh, I do think with the characters who are basically in kid prison, um, I don't know <laughs> what we're supposed to make of them escaping from kid prison, right? Yeah. It might be the only hopeful part of the movie, right? They're the, them and the wild man of the woods are the only people who get away, right? <laughs> yeah. Which, of course, there's never an explanation about why the wild man in the woods is literally the actual aloof character, right? He's just commenting on everything. No no zombie goes after him. He's never in danger. He gets to just watch everyone and write poetry off the top of his head about what's happening <laughs> and then go off, which is a little weird, right? That whole part of it is a little strange. But I, I think even though the movie is, as we've said, very uh, on the surface in a deliberate way, I don't want to do too much work to try to understand the one-to-one of every single aspect of it. Sure. Because I don't know that that much thought went into it. I do think there was an obvious sort of like expression of how it feels to be in this moment. But I don't know that everything was like, and then the hardware guy represents the working class of middle America, but the gas station guy represents genre fans around the world. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how direct those are. And I just like that the kids got away because it's like the one note of hope in the movie. Cause I can't, you know, the Tom Waits character, I don't even know if he's fucking human. So I can't really say like, well, Tom Waits got away, so therefore I have hope. It's like, well, at least the prison kids got away. That that that's nice. That's a yeah, nice thing. No, I see I think, you know, they're categorized into two segments of society to a certain extent that we're supposed to, you know, it is obviously trying to say something. It's just strange that so much of it just kind of goes away. And and maybe that's kind of the point of the movie as well. So I do want to get into some of the performances in this. But before we do that, Liam, I want to mention my favorite part of the movie. Okay. Which is the part after the Iggy Pop zombie (laughs) attacks the diner and kills the two people inside. And then the next day, once Bill Murray arrives at that, and first it's Bill Murray goes in and he looks at the two corpses and he comes out and he's obviously very disturbed by it. But then Adam Driver pulls up in his smart car yeah. and he gets out and then he goes in, looks at the corpses and comes out and then Chloe Sevigny comes and does the same thing. Just the repetition of them doing it like after and then they're having these interactions. I thought that was so funny and it feels very much like a very specific Jim Jarmusch type humor Agreed. to it um and that is kind of the weird dichotomy no, no, i'm not gonna use that word that's kind of like the weird tonal some people i would say some might some might say issue with this movie which is that it is a jim jarmusch movie you can kind of recognize it in it even with the performers that sure. appear here yeah but it also is trying to be like a wacky horror comedy at the same time which is like violent and has tilda swinton as a, a scottish samurai just a lot of wild weird stuff and the thing is, if you were to describe someone this movie and say, oh, it's got Tilda Swinton as a Scottish samurai, and it's got, you know, it's got Bill Murray, and it's got Iggy Pop, and it's got Tom Waits, they probably would think that this movie is really cool. But that's the thing, even compared to Jim Jarmusch's most famous movies, which tend to be, like, cool is one of the words people would use to describe it. This movie isn't very cool. It's got cool performers, and people are very, like, calm, and the vibe is pretty interesting. But I wouldn't describe it as a cool movie. It's kind of weird and silly a lot of the times well i think weird and silly is cool so maybe i'm the wrong <laughs> I, mean, I guess what i'm thinking is like black and white sunglasses cool <laughs> yeah but it's you know here's the thing doug it's 
well, it's 2023 now. It's 2019 when this movie came out. Black and white film with sunglasses. It wasn't cool in 2019. That's so lame. That's old people shit. It's yeah, I know. It was, I'm I think, an old man. What, isn't that saying. isn't that when we started? Isn't isn't 2019 when the kids started saying chuggy? That was chuggy, Doug. Like I think I think to some extent. This, <laughs> I think to some extent this movie is still kind of cool, but it's very much a cool that's like I'm an old man, right? Is like you know Jim Jarmusch being like I am no longer the 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 tip of the spear when it comes to cool shit, right? I'm an old man. I got a bunch of my friends together in upstate New York in a cute little town. We filmed some stuff. It's kind of silly. It's kind of weird. I hope you like it, you know? And and honestly, that's why the story with Josh is so charming to me, is him being like, <laughs> is it good? Do you feel good about it? Like, I, I, I like it, but I don't know, and, you know, whatever. I love that. And I love that Josh was, by the way, not – freaked out by that at all and very much was stoked to tell Jim Jarmusch how much he fucking loves it and still does by the way he thinks it yeah. is a hilarious and brilliant movie and uh you know I I'm still I still I, I wouldn't call it brilliant myself because I'm not sure that it all works now watching it in 2023 I kind of am not convinced that it succeeds in sort of coming at some of these issues or even in some of the jokes feel a little ham-fisted now like when all the zombies are looking at their phones that feels a little like uh, okay boomer you know yeah. like it's just I a mean, little... it certainly does but you know it's funny that you were talking about josh talking to jim jarmusch and i'm like yeah you know they're vaguely contemporaneous in terms of their world and then i was just looking at jim jarmusch's wikipedia page that motherfucker is 70 years old right, right. Jim, even back then you got josh talking to a guy who was like in his mid to late 60s so yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's an old man that's fine that's, yeah and josh was what that was six years ago am i doing that math right no that was four years ago <laughs> so josh is 42 right yeah. at that time yeah, his late 30s yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, uh, 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 yeah, it's oh, four years ago. No, Josh was 42. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, he's just into his 40s. He doesn't understand computers or the internet. Oh, yeah, Josh also. Yeah, that's right. He doesn't really. Yeah, that's, I'm not, that's fine. I'm not going to use the word Luddite because I fully bought into the whole Luddites were just good. people yeah. working for labor <laughs> and they weren't actually haters of technology the way we mean. But, but you know, uh, but I do think, like, there's this feeling of, like, is this movie for old people? And you might be able to make that argument simply because other than the children in child prison <laughs> or the kids who go to the gas station to buy horror shit, right? The only young people we see are these aloof people who are, I guess, hipsters, but they certainly aren't very nice people. I guess Selena Gomez is nice, but the other two dudes kind of don't give a fuck about anything. Yeah, the Austin and, Butler guy seems like kind of an asshole. Yeah. But then again, it's also, it's like, it's not aloof in a way that he's like violent or he's just no, kind of a dick, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He just doesn't care, right? And honestly, when you're young and you don't care about stuff, that does feel kind of cool. I mean, to some extent, <laughs> I mean, straight up, like, like if, if Jim Jarmusch said, the young people are supposed to represent what I was like when I was their age. I wouldn't be surprised at that at no. all. Would yeah, you? Maybe so. No, no. You know what well, I mean? I do think I do think some of his earlier movies are very emotional movies, sure. even though they're kind of thought of as being these kind of sparse things. Yeah. But no, exactly. I see what you're saying. Let's get down to. I, I do want to talk about these performances a little bit. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. When people talk about this movie, the people who appear in it are usually the first thing that they think about outside of Steven Sammy, who we'll talk about um, in a minute. Who are some of the performances that stuck out to you? 
Uh, I love Larry Fessenden. I wish he was in like every movie. He's so great. Yeah, it's funny. This is two movies in a row that he appeared in. Yeah, because right? he was in. Yeah, 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 in Animal Factory as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love. I love him. Of course, we've got the the main trio, and I think their dynamic is fun. I've always kind of liked understated Bill Murray. I wish he did it more. I like, think he's so good in this. He really yeah, does yeah. play, especially because every once in a while he'll like. He'll he'll come to life a little bit, and those yeah. are way more impactful. But yeah. it, you know, it's not his. It's not the wheelhouse that everyone thinks about. But yeah, understated Bill Murray, and boy, I think Adam Driver is great in this. He's pretty much the the thing that holds it all together to a certain extent. I agree. He it, the two of them are what the movie is about. Uh, I think some of the other people are just they're they're good, but they don't really have much. You know, like uh, Steve Buscemi and Danny Glover as as sort of you know interacting people is kind of funny, but like. Uh, I've come to really like Selena Gomez. Uh, yeah, I like in, her. In, only, uh, um, yeah, only the, murders, in, in, murders the building. in the building. Yeah, yeah. So I think some of that is here, but again, she's not given a lot to do. Nope. <laughs> uh, same thing with Iggy Pop, right? Like, I don't really care much about him as an actor, but like the the zombie character he is, I think is hilarious. You know, <laughs> yeah. and him and his his lady just being like coffee, coffee. I love that. Actually, I think that's great. Uh, I wish there was more of Riza in this. I think. Yeah. I think a lot of times as an actor, I don't like Riza. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I don't know if that's his performance or if it's the way he's used in things, but he's funny in this and his interaction with uh, what's the what's the name of the the uh, Caleb Landry Jones Bobby. Kind of. Yeah, Caleb Landry Jones as the nerdy gas station guy. All that is fun for me. Um, you know, I, I, our other love is in this. Carol Kane. Let's talk about her in just a second. I just want to bring up the one performance in this movie that I think is bad, and I feel really bad about saying it, but Rosie Perez as that as that newscaster, she's real. Like you get to hear her both on TV broadcasts and also on like just the audio of it, and she's like doing this newscaster voice that's so distractingly bad that I found it I found it really rough when I was watching I was like Jesus just just have a fucking actual newscaster do this because at least it'll be somewhat believable the funny thing is on my you know my old podcast and that now was back no budget nightmares one of the running jokes on that show is that on these shot on video movies from the 80s and 90s there's almost always a news broadcast and you got some fucking 17 year old pretending to be a newscaster and they're almost always terrible so in some ways I guess you could see that as a continuation of like a lot of low budget horror, but I just think that it's distractingly bad compared to some of the other performances, which which range from super understated to like wild in terms of a character, but still also understated, right? Yeah, I mean the <clears throat> the uh, the Scottish ninja slash alien of it all <laughs> from Tilda Swinton, which is both. A wonderful and terrible performance, right? <laughs> She's if, doing what she was asked to do. That is for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I mean, if if the reveal wasn't so over the top, I'd be like, "What? A, what the fuck is going on here?" But you know, from the moment you see her, you go, "We are not done with this lady, and something's gonna happen, and it's gonna." And honestly, by the time the alien ship shows up, you already know, right? That's not even a surprise. Nope. You're just like, "There it is. Knew it. She's an alien. All right. It all makes sense." <laughs> The part where she's typing on the computer and all that fucking like hacker shit comes up because mm-hmm. she's calling the fucking alien. Yeah, it's look, 
this is a probably a role in fact almost certainly a role that was written specifically for her to do her stuff and the fact that it's so wild and i mean that's that's tilda swinton right it's almost like hey let's get tilda swinton to do her tilda swinton thing do you know daniel craig was supposed to be one of the stars of this movie as well he was that's actually, interesting that's yeah, interesting I, I, I wonder if he was supposed to play the adam driver role but i can't see that that seems like like him and Bill Murray seem like a weird team to go together. Maybe he was supposed to play the Bill Murray role, but that's hard to believe I, too because Bill Murray and Jim Jarmusch have worked together so many times. I could see him actually in the Adam Driver role. Mm. The problem with that, besides the fact that Adam Driver is so good in that role, is then you don't get the visual joke of the fact that he, Adam Driver is so tall <laughs> that it's hard to believe he could drive the smart car without the top down. Like his head almost sticks out of the top of the smart car. And that joke alone is worth watching the movie because you see him in that smart car and you go, come on, man. What man that size would get in that car and go, yeah, I'll take this. This is a car I'll pay for. It is such a, like the visual joke of him in that car is it's like, so is probably the funniest thing in this perfect. entire movie. Let us it's, talk to. Please, Wait, sorry. I just have to say one more thing, which is, according to Wikipedia, the naked zombie in the movie yeah, I is know. the naked zombie from Night of the Living Dead. I find that hard to believe. But if it is true, then I fully support that as a fun Easter egg for fans of, of the Yeah, franchise. I read that as well. And also the car that the uh, Selena Gomez's character is driving is the exact car from the beginning of Night of the Living Dead. So there's, there's obviously clear references to her. And again, George Romero gets name checked in it as well. Kind of an awkward way, to be totally honest. Um, I want to talk about Carol Kane for a second because one of the things we mentioned at the end of our last episode of this podcast was, hey, this is kind of like a crossover with our Praising Kane podcast, a podcast devoted to the life and work of actress Carol Kane. And I have to admit, my expectation was that we were going to get a little more Carol Kane than we get here. Explain her character to me, Leah. Uh, she's dead. And uh, she's knows she's the local drunk and she's dead. And then she comes back to life because all the dead are coming back. And then she gets her head knocked off after chanting Chardonnay over Chardonnay, and over again. Yes, that's right. Which is like such a dumb joke. Uh, but the better joke is watching the look on Bill Murray and Chloe Sevigny's face as Adam Driver, without any hesitation or emotion, slowly chops her head off, right? And causes Bill Murray to go... <clears throat> Oh, yeah, you played minor league ball, right? That's right. It's so good. <laughs> that is so good. But, like, the idea that, like, there there would be someone like this Adam Driver character who is just like, I guess this is what we're doing now. And, like, taking this seriously and engaging it seriously is how I'm dealing with the trauma of what's happening. I, it's funny because it is kind of a joke. But also, that's real, man, right? Yeah, like, that's it. I feel that's like right. I know people that I'm like, oh, if this shit actually ever went down in real life, whatever it is, they would be fine. Like, they would actually be better in that scenario than they are in everyday life. They would be, they would actually do better. Yeah. But also, like, also the reflection of what we were talking about earlier. It's like, it is an acknowledgement that things are super fucked up right now. And I'm going to, you know, handle myself as sensibly as I can within the, the idea of it being fucked up, but there's only so much I can do, right? I can comment on it. I can, you know, I can tell other people about it, but at the end of the day, it's not like I have a power to do anything about it that's more than just, you know, facing it head on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I did, like I said, I expected more cocaine because she's such a famous actress. According to the IMDB trivia, that part was supposed to be played by Bruce Campbell. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That he, he apparently he didn't want to like get into all the makeup and stuff, but like, Bruce Campbell's not turning down a Jim Jarmusch movie, is he? For that small a role? Yeah. I, maybe. Maybe. That. Maybe. I mean, 2019, Doug, 
I feel like 2019, Bruce Campbell is still riding the high of Ash versus the Evil Dead. Yeah, maybe. And he was supposed to start, and this fell through, but he was supposed to be helming a whole series of anthology films that would be like Bruce Campbell Presents, and then that mm. whole production fell through. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... it. I mean, there's a lot of kind of underserved actors here, but I think that's part of the deal as well, right? It's just there's so many familiar faces, like Rizzo, right? He shows up for a couple of scenes that are yeah. fun, and then, but you don't even see him turn into a zombie. He just ends up being a zombie at some point. Yeah, I mean, even the idea that, you know, they keep referencing the Sturgill Simpson song, and then Sturgill Simpson is the zombie with a guitar. Like, that's just fun, right? It's not, it doesn't, you know, it's not I a love huge that role. They- they like they're commenting on it being the theme song of the movie, like actually in the in the dialogue of it. Everyone talks about how much they love the song when it's on, and then it ends up with Bill Murray getting so sick of the song he throws the CD out of the window. <laughs> I don't know. Like I said before, this is kind of like a hundred minute Sergio Simpson music video because of how often they reference him and play his song and he appears in it. It's kind of ridiculous, but I also kind of love it. Yeah. Let's talk about Steve Buscemi as Frank Miller, a farmer and resident of Centerville, notoriously, uh, even amongst the people in this city, specifically Bill Murray's character, he is known as an asshole. And if that is not reinforced enough by the dialogue, he also wears a Make America Great Again hat, except it says Make America White Again, the red cap, the notorious one in the movie. He's the most kind of obvious um, reference to the era that this movie is specifically commenting on. Uh, and he's uh, he, he gets a lot of moments. He gets some of the more of the notable screen time in the entire movie. What did you think of Steve Buscemi as Frank Miller? Uh, fun. I like I like asshole Steve Buscemi. I, yeah, I think it's a, it's it works. I think um, I think it's actually kind of generous the idea that like nobody bothered to tell him about the crisis and that's why he acts so stupidly because he just thinks all these people are just trespassers uh i think that's that's a generous take actually uh i think uh i think again i'm, I'm not sure that jim jarmusch was making a commentary on real life it's just a plot point that like they're all like well, we got to tell everybody but we don't have to tell that dude because he sucks i like and- that bill murray's like fuck that guy i mean like literally just says go, he can go yeah, fuck yeah, himself yeah. yeah but then then adam driver's like look we gotta at least let him know and then he's like well we'll get him someone to call him but i don't think anyone ever does no i will say the fact that the first zombie that he kills that's trying to get into his house is clearly a black man is definitely meant to be a commentary oh 100 but even the idea that now he's killed multiple zombies sure and in the special effects of the movie which of course he's not seeing but like you know we we see it the zombies heads blow up into dust not yeah, even blood. Yeah, yeah. i think that's the point where he might go Maybe this is not. Maybe this. These are not intruders trying to invade my home. Maybe there's something else going on here. Uh, but you know that doesn't serve the movie to spend a lot of time developing him and figuring out that him figuring out that it's zombies or whatever, whatever. And the fact that he's kind of taken at the end. And uh, Tom Waits, who's like the god of the movie, is like, well, that's just poetic justice, basically. I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, that's that, that, that makes sense. It's so silly that he's eating the chicken that he was accused of stealing and no one thought that he actually did. Yeah. At the end of the movie, he's just eating his fucking chicken. This is good chicken. <laughs> what a ridiculous. Yeah, there's some real goofy shit in this movie. Well, and the I couldn't tell if the suggestion was that he had stolen the chicken or if now he's like, well, now that he's being eaten by zombies, I will now steal the chicken and eat it because he I think the joke is supposed to be it. that he just stole it in the first place. And like, he was the one who this, stole it. Yeah, look yeah, at yeah. this wacky guy. Everyone, th- I mean, he is introduced literally sh- almost shooting Bill Murray in the head, even though well, Bill Murray his, seems to love the guy. 
And his gun, for people who ha- who for some reason are listening to who haven't seen it, his gun is the stock of a normal gun, but with just a log attached to it, which I thought was one of the better visual jokes in the movie. Uh, uh, and, you know, I mean, already, the movie already sets a weird tone with that opening scene, because yeah. you have a crazy man with a crazy gun in the woods, and it's Tom Waits. Obviously, this is going to be funny, right? Like, I, I don't, when people were like, well, I was really surprised by the tone of the movie, I was always like... Well, they they intro, you know what I mean? Like, you know what's happening. You know where we're going from the first. Like, I don't know why it's a total surprise that the movie's silly. It really shows you that it's silly from the start, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is silly, but the very fact that it's underplayed and people are not just, like, constantly going wild, uh, I think is why people are not necessarily able to recognize that. I do also think that there are certain people who watch this who are big horror fans and horror comedy fans who thought that maybe it was making fun of the genre as opposed to being kind of a loving tribute or, you know, not even just a tribute, wanting to be, to participate in that genre sure. because it feels different than a lot of the movies and because there's so many recognizable faces. In it. <clears throat> would you recommend this movie to, I mean, the kind of people that we're friends with probably would be on its wavelength. Yeah. I mean, I definitely recommend it to people who like Jim Jarmusch or people who I think could like Jim Jarmusch. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, not everyone has seen his. I don't want to assume. No, but, of course, yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah. But I do think that uh, for people who are strict horror fans, I'm not like totally bummed out that they didn't like the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. You know, if the question is, is the movie funny? To me, it is. For my sense of humor, I think it's very funny. Is the movie a functional horror movie? Uh, not a lot of horror comedies are, Doug. Mm, yeah, you know what I mean? True. Like, not Absolutely. everything can be Evil Dead too. Like, to me, Evil Dead 2 is equally a horror movie and a comedy. And maybe that is not how other people see it. But to me, it functions in both ways very well. Whereas, yeah. like, if someone says, like, Warmery of Darkness isn't a horror movie, you know, I'm not interested in, like, drawing those lines. But I'm also not offended. Like, yeah, yeah that's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. really a horror movie. That's okay. I don't care about that. Uh, in the same way, like, though this is very much a zombie movie, it doesn't really function the way a lot of horror movies do. And while that doesn't bum me out, doesn't even bother me a little bit, some people, that's not what they will come to a movie called The Dead Don't Die that has a fucking zombie hand on the cover. That might not be why they sought out the movie, especially if there's someone who is utterly unfamiliar with Jim Jarmusch. I imagine the, the, the pacing and the vibe of this thing could fucking bum you out, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. You might mm-hmm. be like, what is even happening here? So, yeah, I could I could see this not being universally loved. But for me, I don't understand. I A number of people I know who love Jim Jarmusch hate this movie. And yeah. for me, I don't personally get that. That's, that's not something I, I understand. I came out of it with a weird feeling, which is that I kind of wish it was, like, way longer. You know, that it was, I like... Agree. Like a three hour, I know people are like down on long movies, but like this is one where the vibe is so fun for me that I'd really like for it to just like really kind of laze along. We get to see more of these characters interact because the interactions between the characters are to me the most fun parts of it. And it's like, you know, not even necessarily investigating their backgrounds, but just seeing how they react to things. I, w- I mean, I would, that's the kind of thing I would enjoy. I would have enjoyed this as a, just a kind of a, a comedy that is non-horror related with Adam Driver and Bill Murray's characters also just interacting, right? I mean, um, I don't know much about the making of this movie, Doug, but if 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 the reveal was we shot this over like a weekend and we thought it might be a short <laughs> film and it turned out to be a feature-length <laughs> film, I wouldn't be surprised at that too. Like it, it feels like it's a lark and it feels like maybe they didn't know if they had enough here to make a movie, but they did and it works as a movie. But yeah, man, like... Give me a different comedy, 
written and directed by Jim Jarmusch with Bill Murray and Adam Driver, but it's not this movie. It's something else because that vibe was very good. And then like, not that the other performers aren't great, but I think you put any group of people together who are Jim Jarmusch you know, performers or who could work as Jim Jarmusch performers. Sure. It's going to be a good movie, I think, because I really think that chemistry really worked for me and everyone else was great, but it was really about Adam Driver and Bill Murray hanging out in this role. If yeah. you made a movie that was crazy Bill Murray and over-the-top Adam Driver, that might actually be teeth-grittingly difficult to watch. <laughs> I don't know. Speaking of vibes, Liam, on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, we are going to be watching... 1988's Vibes, directed by Ken Quapis. The plot being two psychics are hired to find the location of a lost Incan city located somewhere in the Ecuadorian mountains that is said to hide a great treasure starring Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum. Vibes from 1988. Liam, do you, you've seen this movie before. So looking at this poster, I feel like I've seen bits of it on basic cable. Sure. But I certainly have never watched the whole thing, and I didn't know what it was. I just knew that Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper had done a movie together, but I've certainly <laughs> never watched the whole thing. It just feels like one of those things where I'm like, certainly this was on basic, certainly USA played this on a Sunday afternoon sometime, right? Like <laughs> that just has to be true. Uh, I think that we should uh, keep our expectations in how much, in regards to how much Steve was we're going to get in check for a 1988 movie. But that's one of the, I wanted to go back a little bit and see one of his smaller parts earlier in his career. By the way, this movie also stars, uh, unfortunately now, the late Julian Sands, as well as Peter Falk is in this movie. So I have to say, I'm very curious. I don't hear people talking about it very much. It also was a huge box office bomb. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I also think like, you know, when you're getting, not that uh, current Jeff Goldblum isn't sexy, but when you're getting young Jeff Goldblum, young sexy Jeff Goldblum, mm -hmm. and no one's talking about it, that tells me this is probably a pretty bad movie. You know, like it's, it's <laughs> some amount of people must hate this movie for it not to be in the conversation. Well, I guess we'll find out on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. Liam, uh, we're in the midst of the spooky season at the moment. Uh, let me see, actually, just to see when this is going to come out. This is going to come out on the 23rd. So, yeah, we're still in the midst of the spooky season. Lots of great Halloween-related content over at Cinepunks.com. Why don't you give us a little update on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, we have uh, a number of articles in our In Defense series. We also have uh, a series of people writing about sort of their personal introduction to horror, not even just movies, but just the, the, the genre in general. Um, and uh, we have special spooky episodes of a number of our podcasts, including the long-awaited return of Twitch of the Death Nerve. Uh, for people who know, Twitch of the Death Nerve has been on hiatus while Sam and, and Charles Unfortunately for me, but fortunately for them, move from uh, the general Philadelphia area into New York, uh, which is, you know, uh, it's great for Sam's work because everybody knows Sam Deegan does a lot of commentaries on movies and stuff. And that's a lot easier to do in, in the big city than in the small plucky city. But it means the next time I go back to visit Philly, I won't get to see them. And that makes me sad. But uh, in glorious return, they're doing a episode talking about underrated slasher movies uh that should be out by the time you're hearing this i've heard it uh on on sam's patreon it's a great episode uh so check it out uh and check out all the cinnamon stuff we also have a 
31 Days of Cineween, where I made a list of prompts for people to check out uh, horror movies, sort of a, a guided journey through horror for the month. Uh, I made a list. Adriana made a list. If you're watching stuff uh, as part of that, let us know. Uh, big ups. We've had like two, three people who've been you know, uh, hitting us up on social media every day to let us know what they're watching, and I really appreciate that. So uh, if you're one of those people out there, and even if you're not following our list, you're just watching stuff for the for the season let us know what you're watching and and how you feel about it you know i really love that uh seeing people talk about stuff especially when they're watching stuff for the first time i think that's one of my favorite traditions for people is not just to revisit the classics but to, to check out something new over yeah. over the season uh, especially in a in a genre where a lot of us feel like we've seen it all there's no way there's always something you haven't seen so give something a chance you know yeah, 100%. Uh, this is, of course, I think both Liam and my own favorite time of the year, uh, simply because everyone is on those different wavelengths. As Liam mentioned, lots of great writing over at Cinepunks.com. I wrote up a little thing in defense of um, the uh, the wonderful Death Dream, a.k.a. Dead of Night. You can check over there right now. Cinepunks on all of major social networks, uh, except uh, X slash Twitter, though it, uh, I think you now have a Cinepunks Blue Sky account, though I know don't know if it's... Uh, if we're pumping out the content on there quite yet. Unfortunately, uh, uh, no one else is really, I mean, <laughs> you're on blue sky, but you're not really interested in running the Cinepunks account. So that just leaves it to me. Cause none of our other social media people are even on blue sky. So, uh, I'm supposed to be running the Cinepunks blue sky and, uh, I'll be honest, folks. I'm a bit behind on posting things. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's okay. There's just too much stuff to juggle right now. I am on Blue Sky at DougTilly.BSky.Social. Why don't you follow me on there? I'm rocking and rolling over there because I was banned forever from the other major social network. Um, and uh, yeah, you can, of course, find Cinema Smorgasbord still on Twitter at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G, and on Facebook as well. You can always check out the latest episodes, uh, or, or I should say, you can always check out the entire archive of Cinema Smorgasbord podcast, including all the episodes of How Do You Do Fellow Kids? over at cinemasmorgasbord.com and check out all of our other podcasts, including such diverse topics as the career of Jack Chan, the career of Carol Kane, the career of Paul Bartel, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Dick Miller, so many more over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, Liam, is there anywhere else that people should find you or should we uh, just uh, let, let them look for you in the wilderness? I mean, I'm on Blue Sky and I'm on uh, Instagram at Liam Rules. That's fine. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, like I said, I haven't been on Blue Sky that much, but I am posting on my personal account occasionally over there. Uh, and of course, Cinepunks, you know, check out the website, find us. But I think the best place actually to get updated on Cinepunk stuff is our Discord. Yes. Uh, we're, we're not just posting that link everywhere, but if you hit us up on socials, we will get you a link to the Cinepunk Discord. And there's always conversation going on over there, uh, as well as updates on what we're doing. So check and it out. And we are also hoping to do a uh, screening on Twitch before the end oh, of the yeah, month yeah, uh, that Liam should really get his ass in gear in regards to... <laughs> we got a lot. Just tell just me kidding. when you want to do it, Doug. We're just going to lock down a date, but I think we're going to have some underrated horror playing as well. Uh, so, uh, well, yeah, get on the Discord now when you hear this and get uh, get on board before it's time for that screening. But for now, Liam, we need to take a little break. We're going to be back very soon with 1988's Vibes. Good night, everyone. Night-night.